Sometimes we can get so caught up in things and stuff, and that's what this is about today, the scripture, that we can do that. We don't mean to, I don't think, but it, it happens to us. And so the idea for us, all of us, all the time is to be heavenly minded. Or what's our thought focus on? Is it really on the things here that are temporary? And it doesn't mean that we ignore those. That's not the point. But I hope you can see in this parable. And remember, a parable is what? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so as we walk through this, watch what happens. Someone in the crowd said to him, now I'm kind of jumping in, as you can see, verse 13 here in Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me as judge or arbitrator over you? Now, please understand, this guy wasn't totally out of line. It wasn't uncommon for the rabbis and teachers of the day to be asked counsel in the matters of daily life. And so this was not really out of the the realm of possibility of Jesus answering this question. But his answer does something that I hope we can all understand. His answer is directed at the heart of the man. Because Jesus, you guys know this, right? He knows us. Jesus knows us. You do know that Jesus knows us. He knows our heart. And then he said, look what he says. See, it shows he's seeing the heart. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Now, again, the question from the guy seemed rather innocent and appropriate. Hey, there's a death in the family. There's an inheritance. It should be distributed fairly. That all sounds good. But Jesus is able to see this man's heart. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. He said, put your life on guard against greed. Put your heart on guard against greed. Now, as we walk through this, my prayer is, Holy Spirit, please help us to get the application that it's not just about stuff. It is about stuff, but that's not the totality of it. And then he starts this parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. Well, that's good. If any of you have ever farmed or gardened, that's what you want productivity. You want the fruit. You want the blessing, as it were. Well, he says in this parable, that's what happened to this guy. And the guy was very well off. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, now let's pause there just for a second. Reasoning to himself, saying. No offense, But a whole lot of times when we start reasoning to ourselves, we are messing up. Because a lot of our reasoning is not based on the Word of God. A lot of our thoughts are not in compliance with the will and the way of God. Now, just to be fair, so you'll know, everything you face, everything you encounter in life, there will not be a verse that you can go to. 
For example, what if you're deciding if you're going to get married? Do you think there's a verse in the Bible that tells you who to marry? Anybody? It's not there. Or what about changing jobs? Another illustration. You think there's a verse in the Bible that says, oh, yeah, this is the job you need to take. I love what Jim Simula says, one of my uh, favorite speakers. He says, sometimes because you have spent time in the word of God and because you spend time in prayer, there's the thing called sanctified reasoning. Or you come to a conclusion based on your understanding of the word of God and the application that God has for that word in your particular circumstance. But he's reasoning with himself. And notice how he starts out. What shall Thank you very much. What shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. I'm, I could be wrong. But I don't think there's anywhere in here that he's really consulting God. Not even to the place of praising God that he said he's had such an abundance of crop. Then he says, this is what I will do. How many times have you not done that? This is what I will do. You know, I tell people all the time, every good idea is not necessarily a God idea. That's why we want to take some time to make sure that we're doing it the way God wants it done. This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my, sorry, all, I will store all my grain and, okay. You see God in there anywhere? Nope. Now, here's the thing that this guy has done, is doing, And sadly, we, on many, many occasions, are guilty of the very, very same thing. This man is making an assumption that he is in control. We all make those assumptions that we are in control. It's with our families. You know, we're trying to control our mate. Rather than praying for them and ministering to them and sharing grace with them, we're trying to, you know, want them to do. You know, the sweet, sweet young lady who's getting married. And the guy she's planning to marry when she brings him to see the pastor. He's way not what God says in his word. Now, again, didn't give the name, but it does say it can't be an unbeliever because then you're unequally yoked. You guys know that's in there, right? Oh, but pastor, don't worry. God has told me that he'll change him after we get married. Now, that's not really what she means. What she really means is I have told me I will change him. After we get married. In other words, I know he's broken. I get it. But I'll fix him. And guess what happens? On those rare occasions, it does happen. But it's not the norm. 
Or it could be the other way. It could be here's this guy and his walk with Christ and he's fallen in love with this girl that's so pretty. Nothing wrong with being pretty. I like it. I mean, no offense. That's what drew me to Sheila first. But that changed, so you know. <laughs> not not the prettiness, but the... <laughs> you know, sometimes when you put your foot in it, you just might as well just let it go. <laughs> so let me back up. When her pastor asked me, do you love her? I said, Yes. Dean asked me right now. Yes. Sound like the same thing, didn't it? It was so totally different, it's not even close. My love that I have for her today that has been nurtured and grown and matured in me through Christ, it doesn't even, it's so many light years from where we were back in those early days, it's not even funny. Did not mean to get on that tangent. The point is, we think we're in control. Parents, should you have your children in control? Yes. But it's not hammered down. Or what about ministry? Because, you know, I live in that world. What about ministry? What about people in ministry? Are people about their jobs or whatever you know i'm i'm in control i'm i'm the captain of my destiny no you're not you're not at all you think you are but here's here's the illustration we've given in here so many times i know some of you haven't been around for a while so here's how this works as god gives you life whatever that life may be marriage ministry, work, whatever, you hold it like this. You know why? Because it ain't yours. It's his. And the moment you start seeing those fingers curl in, in fact, she and I were talking about this morning, one of the misconceptions, at least in church today, is we want people to take ownership. No, we don't. Because they don't own it. God owns it. What we want is people to understand what a good steward does and how that good steward in relationship with the Heavenly Father walks life out in such an amazing way that glorifies Him. So here's the guy. Got the crops. I'm going to tear down the barns, build bigger barns to put my stuff in. Now, is there anywhere here that God says it's wrong to have stuff? No. You know what the danger is? When stuff has us. When we don't really understand we're stewards. When our daughter Brantley, again, sometimes I tell stories over and over, but it hopefully illustrates the point. When our daughter Brantley was diagnosed with leukemia, and I had met with the doctor late that night, and I come home and I go to bed and I'm trying to go to sleep and I'm wrestling with it. And I'll never forget my conversation with God that night. He said, who does she belong to? I said, 
She belongs to you. We've dedicated her to you. We have always, she's yours. He goes, then don't you think I love her more than you love her? And the answer is yes. And we got to watch God take our biological daughter that was his spiritual daughter and love her through those next months of healing and restoration. But this guy is presenting for us our presumptiveness. That's not even a good word, probably. Our presumptiveness. That we're in control. And the whole thing for us is that our life should be in such harmony with God every day. Every day, no matter what our vocation, location is, every day in such harmony with God that whatever it is that comes to us and things will come to us, we all know that, everybody here knows that, then we respond to it in a way that honors and glorifies our Heavenly Father and lets Him know that we're willing for Him to work in our lives as He sees fit. Now, this next part is kind of interesting. I will say to my soul... So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Boy, that sounds like today's philosophy. I love me. I love me. I love me. I want what I want. I get what I want. I do what I want. I love me. Catch the next line. And God interrupts. You fool. In case you don't know, that's a big no-no. The scripture literally says, do not call your brother a fool. But God calls this man a fool. Why? Because he is so presumptuous about who is actually in charge of his life. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you've prepared? I don't know about you. But as I read this and listened to it and read this and listened to it, God, if you take me today, I just want to know that my heart is prepared. And see, this is not about salvation. This is about us walking it out every day. You know, where Paul says in uh, Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is us doing the work. This is us uh, being at that place with God in such a way that we know the Holy Spirit is working in us and guiding us and directing us. And yes, the Word of God is being applied in our situation and we're being doers of the Word and not hearers only. But it's not, as this man thought, all about stuff. If it were, this million dollar bill that was handed to me when I came in, we have a young man here, apparently he's pretty well off. He was handing these suckers out like they were just paper. But the point of this track is that even if you have a million dollars, it won't even come close to the value of what we have in Christ. This, this parable... So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God? 
And he said to his disciples, now it's almost like he changes his, you know, he's kind of speaking to everyone. And then it's like, for this reason, I say to you, now listen to what's happening here. He's making this transition. He's saying, okay, what this guy is planning is absolutely wrong because he doesn't realize that he's going to die that night and he's got to give an account for his life and how his life is lived and where all his stuff has been used. Don't worry about your life about what you eat, nor your body, or what you put on. Now, I love what Oswald Chambers says related to these verses. He says, that's not meaning that you just go around, go around without a bath and wearing whatever the heck it is you want to wear, drawing attention to yourself because you're dressed inappropriately. But he says, because you're in this relationship with God, you're doing the things that are proper and you're, you're wanting to bring honor and glory to him. And so if something about your natural life doesn't do that, then you're wrong no matter what. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he illustrates, consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap, and they don't have a storehouse. They, they don't have the barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds. So, a little quick quiz question. How many of you, when you're ready to partake of food, do you thank God for the food? Or do you think, I'll work for this. God ain't got nothing to do with it. Well, the last time I checked, he is the one who controls our breath. If it's cut off, you ain't going to work. And the last I checked, well, boy, that's, ooh, that's a political quagmire. I started to say, if you don't go to work, you don't get a check, but, okay. Well, you kind of know where I stand, don't you? <laughs> the point is, when we're living this relationship with God, we understand that all this comes from his hand. And so as a result, we are very grateful to him that it does. And how blessed we are. And look, he goes on to say, and you're more valuable than the birds. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) When God looks down at his creation, he looks at all his creation. But we're we're, we're the crowning glory of his creation. And so when he looks at me and looks at you, does he say, oh, yeah, man, that's my crowning glory. And it isn't because, you know, they have hair or don't have hair because other places in Scripture says you can't even count the hairs of your head because he's got all that taken care of. It's all about him and how we are intimate with him in this relationship. That's why Jesus would say when he was asked at different times, he said, I'm just doing what the Father tells me to do. I'm just doing what I saw the Father do. I'm just doing what I know is pleasing to my Father. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? You ever think about that? Okay, I know there are kids in the room. So let me try to rephrase this. There's coming a point in our life when we will die physically. Every one of us will. We don't know that point. But should we? And we're just all up in knots. I just need one more hour. And we wear ourselves out. And the word of God says, 
That's just wasting time. You can't worry yourself into another hour. You might worry yourself out of a couple, but you can't worry yourself into another hour. If you can't do these little things, then why worry about the other matters? And then he goes on. Look at God's creation again. Look at the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you that not even Solomon, the wisest man, the richest man, in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass in the field, which is alive today, tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? This phrase in the scripture absolutely breaks my heart every time I read it. Ye men of little faith. Because I know, as he says that to me, because I do believe that the greatest sin in the contemporary church is the fact that we do not believe that God is God. Now, we may give lip service to it, but when it comes down to it, it's really about us being our God. And that's why our God is so limited and what he is able to accomplish. Do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. Now, it's not saying not to work. That's not the point. In fact, the Scripture says, (laughs) again, you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, I get it that we've violated some of those principles. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. And then this precious, precious statement here in this verse. Do not be afraid, little flock. I got to tell you, I am so happy that as I read that, I know that I'm included in that. I am part of his little flock. Your father, my heavenly father, has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is whatever my heavenly father sees that I need for my life. And he provides it as I walk in obedience to him. And I get to know his heart because his heart is for me. In fact, he even says, go sell your possessions. Give it to charity. Make yourself money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven. See, what's he saying? He says, this stuff here is temporary. You can stack it up, pile it up, build new barns, whatever you want to do. Go rent all the many storage warehouses there are in our county. But that doesn't keep your soul. Because this stuff here, somebody can get it, take it, can be consumed Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my question to us this morning is, where's our treasure? Where's your treasure? Now, should we treasure our mates and our families? Absolutely. But that cannot be our greatest treasure. Our greatest treasure has to be in Christ who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and who he is to me. Now think about that just for a moment.
what is my real, real heart toward all this stuff? Do I need food to eat? Of course I do. Do I need clothes for my body? Of course I do. Do I need a shelter? Yes, I do. Now, most of us are pretty much way beyond that. Not everybody, I understand, but most of us are. But if you go back, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's our treasure? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back. And the song that they sang at the end was Give Me Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, please. And the first obvious question is, do you have Jesus? Because it's not out of the realm of possibilities that someone in this room is here and does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And secondly, if those of us who do, have, who do have Jesus in our hearts, is he the greatest value? Is he the greatest treasure? Is he, is that kingdom of his in us?